You've likely heard maxims such as learners become earners and leaders need to be readers, and those are true. Well, today's guest is helping marketers and all types of business leaders with their reading, learning, and earning. But what about that physical or digital stack of books that you're meaning to read? Well, we have the host of the Marketing Book Podcast here to share lessons from 200 top marketing and sales books. You are about to get caught up in a hurry. It's Douglas Burdett on the Manage Your Message Podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in, and thanks for joining us. I'm Jim Carr. You know, sometimes one of the great assets of this audio medium is the absence of video. For example, at this moment, I'm thinking about the stacks of books that I have around my office and studio area just a few feet away. I'm glad that you cannot see all of them. I've managed to commingle the haven't yet read books with the have started's and a few want to read again books. Not all of these are business books, but most are. Like many of you, I suspect, I enjoy reading great books and learn a lot from them, and yet my appetite can far surpass my capacity, thus the stacks. And thus our special guest today, Douglas Burdett. Douglas is host of the Marketing Book Podcast, which according to LinkedIn is one of the 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. I came across Douglas at the confluence of two rivers, if you will. First, I was listening to more and more podcasts myself, and second, I was finishing the manuscript of my first book, which will be released in 2019, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. I enjoyed Douglas's easy conversational style with his guests and found those authors to be engaging and inspiring. Douglas interviews one author per week and actually reads their book before each podcast interview. Amazing. So for any of you who might feel guilty about your own stack of books, well, start a podcast, I guess. But Douglas Burdett is a marketing leader in his own right. He is the founder of Artillery, a firm that helps manufacturers with complex sales processes to find more qualified leads. He's an Army veteran, spent nearly a decade in the New York City ad agency world, and then when he and his wife had their first child, did the sane thing to pull up stakes and move. They went to the Norfolk, Virginia area. I understand that Douglas's office includes a life-size cardboard cutout of Elvis Presley in his U.S. Army uniform. We'll check on that. I also understand that Douglas's mother was the first woman to earn a varsity sports letter at Duke University. Douglas Burdett, welcome to the Manager Message podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, this is a real treat for someone who is not just an expert on your own, but you have now completed 200 podcast episodes. I have to ask the question, what initially drew you to this idea of not only starting a podcast, but also to focus on marketing-related books and their authors? And you have a thriving agency. That's a big commitment. Well, it keeps me out of trouble, but I had always enjoyed listening to podcasts. I mean, going back maybe as far as 2005, when you would plug the iPod into the computer. And I liked the marketing podcasts. And I always enjoyed podcasts, interviews where they interviewed authors of marketing books, sales books. And so I continued listening. I just, I'm a podcastaholic. And I just thought, you know, I, I would like to do this. I want to give this a try. It still seemed kind of early. And this was early 2015, late 2014. And I had always been the type of person that would have read an author's book. And then if I were going to a marketing conference and I knew they were going to be there, I would, I know this sounds weird. I would actually go buy a hard copy of their book, put it in the suitcase, fly to the conference, and then bring it in order to get them to autograph it. So, I mean, some people collect signed sports memorabilia. I collect (laughs) autographed marketing and sales books. And so I started doing it and I had met actually some of the author's not that they remembered who I was, but I had met some of them at conferences and so forth. And I remember I made 11 videos pitching the first 11 people that I wanted to be on the podcast. And I'm happy to say that with episode 200, I now have interviewed all 11 of them. One of them was Seth Godin. He was episode 200. 
he didn't have a book coming out at the time I started the podcast. So it does keep me reading the books. And the reason I like doing that is because I can't stand not having a sense of what's going on in a field that's changing really, really quickly, in parts because of technology. And because of that technology, it changes the way that people are buying. And I came from a real long background in advertising, as you mentioned. And that whole world is a shadow of its former self. And a few years ago, I have to believe I must have been thinking like a travel agent 20 years ago who was thinking, wait a minute, what's this internet? People have to come to us for these travel arrangements. And, and why are the airlines not paying us commissions anymore? It's like <laughs> that whole world right. was kind of going away. And I've got all the numbers and data to back up that it is really on the decline. And so I uh, was too young to retire. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had to kind of cast about and find some other way to evolve the business and figure out what I was going to do. And I read uh, a book by David Merman Scott called The New Rules of Marketing and PR, not long after it had come out. And that and another book that I can talk about later are the two books that have had the biggest influence on my career. And that one really sort of showed me this new world of marketing, and it really has changed dramatically. And I can say that because I've lived through all of this. I've been in this agency business for 30 years. So there must have been some sort of brain chemicals released when I was learning something new and feeling like I <laughs> was getting a second bite at the career apple. And so that's part of the motivation is just not wanting to feel like I'm falling behind. And it's interesting. I want to ask you a little bit from not only the uh, perspective of someone who does this now professionally as part of how you keep yourself relevant, keep yourself cutting edge in that changing world. But for those of us who may be more casual or occasional readers when it comes to business and marketing and sales, all of that, there's so many more options now, of course, between really short form stuff to people with various blog posts to longer form commentaries and analysis to long form books and even long form podcasts. So what's your thought in terms of what you're able to learn, remind yourself of what you enjoy reading? How do you balance out between say the shorter form stuff and long form in the form of books? Well, I think that all of your listeners should listen to two podcasts, yours and mine. Okay, now yes. that they've done that, <laughs> I think it's what you're asking is getting at a question that a lot of people have about marketing, which is, are there just a couple things I could do? And the answer is, unfortunately, increasingly, no. It's become much more complex and much more layered. Having said that, I think that you should have a balanced learning diet. So in other words, there are probably two or three blogs that you could follow for whatever industry you're in, and there are a lot of great ones out there. Just to get the latest on that type of thing, there are probably some podcasts that you could be listening to that would keep you stimulated and aware of, of things that are going on. There are a lot of podcasts that interview people that do what you do. I find that those help people. So like, let's say you're a in real estate sales or you are an ophthalmologist. Podcasts are all about the long tail. And you can find something. I mean, my wife is a equestrian, a dressage competitor, which is an Olympic sport that Stephen Colbert likes to make fun of. And <laughs> there are even podcasts about that rather niche sport. But there are a few other things. One of them is reading books. And I say that because even Mark Zuckerberg started a book club because, I mean, the founder of Facebook, he even said there's something about reading a book that is much more immersive. It's almost like you take a long airplane ride with an author and they provide all this information to you while you're sitting there. So if you want to learn something deeply, read. And I find that reading the actual physical book is much more satisfying and I take a whole lot more away from it than reading a Kindle. I think it's because, I mean, who knows how our brains work, but I think you tend to scan those rather than you absorb the information differently. Another thing to do, so I mean, I'm not saying you got to read one every week. Not everyone has these issues that I do. You made a commitment that you made a while back. Yeah. The other thing that is really helpful for people is some sort of continuing education. Like, for instance, in our world, there are a number of marketing software companies that offer different types of certifications and classes, and, and Google has some too. So we use HubSpot software, but there's lots of great software out there. And they have a really good academy. And 
all their classes are free and they're not about their product. They're trying to teach everyone what they need to know. And I've got to believe there's other people in other organizations and industries that have a lot of free teaching material and you can get yourself certified. That's a very different type of learning. It uses a different part of your brain. But any kind of certifications that you can get and maintain are a commitment that you want to keep. I think that's all great advice, Douglas. And as you were speaking there, a few things that I found helpful message managers, I think, as Douglas said, finding someone in your industry or your broad area of work who seems to be coming up with some great fresh ideas, it's good to know what's happening, what's trending in your industry. I think it's also great and it really is the source of innovation, is find someone who's doing a function or has a great idea not in your industry. So if you were, you know, look outside your industry or immediate area for people who are innovating, which innovation basically is taking good ideas from one domain and applying them and maybe massaging them a little bit in a different domain. Mm -hmm. Douglas, when you very kindly accepted my invitation for the podcast, I was thinking about asking you some different themes, lessons learned from actively reading a couple hundred great marketing books and interviewing their authors, but you were ahead of the curve. You made it easy. You had just prepared and presented in a talk to an American Marketing Association chapter, a set of lessons learned. Wow. It was great show prep for the Manager Message podcast. So thank you, Douglas. I thought we might talk about a few of those and what you found profound or why these stood out for you as a practicing marketer, as well as podcast host. And then if you had some particular examples that came to mind for our listeners. So uh, if you're prepared, I picked out a few of these lessons that you talked about and let you just discuss them at a little bit uh, greater length. Sure. What I tried to do is zero in on things that continue to come up in a lot of these books and in the business world that are making companies particularly successful and or which companies are really struggling with. And that sounds like a great place to start. So broad application for whether you are a marketer by title or you just need to find some ideas and ways to talk about your business and grow your organization. These are really good lessons learned. And I will start with this one, because almost everyone says that they want to be customer focused. They want to deliver a great customer experience. And you have as one of your lessons, the most successful marketers have deep insights into their customers. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I just interviewed today, as I was telling you before we got started, an author, Christophe Morin, about a book he wrote about neuromarketing. And in the book, he happened to talk about all the science that shows that the human brain is very self-oriented. <laughs> and <laughs> the reason why is because that's how it survived and preserved itself. So people are very oriented around themselves. Everyone listens to the same radio station. WIFM, what's in it for me? And companies are no different. In this talk, I talked about there's three kinds of companies and everybody works for one of three kinds of companies. It's companies that are focused primarily on themselves, like their own products and their own operations and their own service. I would say probably the majority of companies are that way. And that's an observation, not a criticism. There are some companies that are focus primarily on their competitors. Whether they'll admit it or not, most of their strategic decisions are based on what the competition's doing. And that's kind of a losing game, but that's just how some companies are. And the third type of company, which is probably the smaller one, are the companies that are focused on their customers. And it doesn't mean they're paying lip service. It means they really pay a lot of attention to their customers and try to draw insights from that. And they go as far as trying to determine where is friction in the buying process, but more importantly, where is friction in their life? So for instance, a ride-sharing app like Lyft or Uber, they knew that people hated not knowing if they were going to get a cab. They didn't know when it was going to arrive. They didn't know what it was going to cost. They <laughs> and somebody figured out, based on people's unpleasant experiences with cabs a way to reduce friction and provide a product or service that's become very popular. And another company that does this is Amazon. And Jeff Bezos, the founder, the word is that when he's at meetings at Amazon, he goes into the conference room, whichever conference room it is, and he always wants at least one empty chair in that room. And that chair represents the customer. And invariably, he ends up pointing at that chair during meetings because people forget <laughs> what their focus needs to be. 
<laughs> you know, he'll say she doesn't want it a day later or she's not willing to pay for that or whatever. And I mean, even a company like that is really working very hard to stay focused on their customers. And I've even had authors on the show who talk about, well, there was one author who wrote a book about Amazon, well, a book about business, but he used Amazon as an example. And it was Jeffrey and Brian Eisenberg who wrote Think Like Amazon, even a lemonade stand can do it. And they talked about the principles of Amazon, but any business can do it. And he talked about this customer focus. And even he was joking that if you're a customer, you're going to get good service. But if you're an author trying to sell a book on Amazon, eh, you're going to wait. <laughs> <laughs> so just a word to you with your book coming out. But the point is that Jeff Bezos is the richest person in the world, in case anyone needs a proof point. And one of the ways that companies are able to pay a little more attention to their customers and really understand them, not just talk at them, is this concept of buyer personas, which is one of my very favorite books on the first 200 episodes. It's by Adele Ravella. Buyer persona is like an archetype or a fictional makeup of, a, of your typical buyer, your best buyer, who that person is. And when you develop buyer personas, you have to talk to customers to do that. You don't just talk to the sales team. There's really only five things you need to know that she talks about this in her book. And you can go to her website, buyerpersona.com. She's got a couple of eBooks there, no registration required, that explain how this works. And in so many books, I've seen how that works, but also we've seen it work really well for customers, where if you just understand what is making them upset what is bothering them, how they go about researching, what is it they really want from an emotional standpoint when they buy something. And they're not buying your product. They're buying some emotional release or reaction. The more that you're able to understand that, let's say you sell a product, you're not selling it software. You might be selling control. You might be selling ability to make them feel like they're managing better. You might be, see how the more you're able to understand what the real thing is they're buying, it's so much better. And then there was another book on the podcast, which I just really enjoyed, like so many of them, called Roadmap to Revenue, How to Sell the Way Your Customers Want to Buy by Kristen Javago. And it was very well done. And she's used it very successfully for many years with her clients. And at the linchpin of the whole approach is to interview customers. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. Now, you do need to do what's in their books the way they recommend it, which is fairly simple because a lot of companies have trouble getting out of their own head and focusing on their customers. But they even show you, look, ask these questions. Don't ask these questions. Here's the program. And the companies that are able to do that are really doing well. There was even another book called From Impossible to Inevitable by Aaron Ross, where he was the guy that also wrote Predictable Revenue. And he wrote this other one that I just mentioned. And he talks about, you know, these are the seven things you need to do to have predictable, pretty fast growth. And he explains what they were. And in, in one part in the book, the, actually the very first part, it was called Nail a Niche. Nail a Niche, which is so counterintuitive for a lot of professional services providers or companies. And in that part of the book, he talked about how if you just go and interview 20 people, you'll be amazed at what you'll learn. Now, they can't be friends or relatives, but he talked about how particularly the startup world can't seem to do that. They can't seem to go talk to 20 people to refine what their value proposition is. That's very true. So that's one of the big ones is it's just understanding your customers. And it's hard to do. Empathy is really hard, but empathy is the most important word in marketing and sales. As you know, that doesn't mean sympathy or compassion or pity. Empathy is simply being able to put yourself in the shoes of your customer, even a little bit. You know, so much of marketing and sales, you don't have to do this perfectly. You just have to do a little bit better than the other people. And it really blows customers away. Well, that's absolutely true. And one of the things, just to underscore your point, when you were speaking about Jeff Bezos, by contrast, and I've quoted this article a couple of times here on the podcast, because I think it's very illustrative. There's an article in the most recent edition of Harvard Business Review, and uh, it was a tracking study, if you will, of 27 large company CEOs. And so these CEOs had agreed to let their executive assistants track in 15-minute increments, like they were an attorney, you know, ready for billing, how they actually were spending their time. And this included everything, you know, time with their family, time in travel, time in meetings with the board, et cetera, et cetera. And as the authors described, much to the CEO's dismay when they reported these results back, on average, those big company leaders were only spending about 3% of their time with actual customers. And so almost to a person resolved that they would clear out 
time in their schedules because they knew the importance of that and being able to keep not only that intention and uh, the kind of perspective that Jeff Bezos has, but the actual you know spending time, as you say, talking to customers and getting a sense of what they like, what they need but don't have, and the language that they would use. And it's only through that that you really can get that sense of empathy as you were talking about. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but if you just have that pipeline to really be in the customer's world, as Seth Godin would say, kind of the minimally viable number of customers, then you'll have a huge advantage, right? Yeah, it's like when you and a friend are in the woods and you start getting chased by a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun the other guy. That's right. So when you're just a little bit better than the others, it really comes through. And I tell you what, I would love, if you're able to find the link to that article, because I could incorporate that into future talks. It's a Harvard Business Review study, and I'm sure it'll be turned into a book. And I'll provide that link. We'll have it in the show notes. Let me just add something to what you just mentioned, though. And that is, there was another book on the podcast by Martin Lindstrom called Small Data. You know, the tiny clues that uncover big insights or something like that. But it was called Small Data. And in the book, he talks about how marketers and businesses are becoming data-driven, which is good to a certain extent. But it becomes like a drunk with a lamppost. They use data for support, not illumination. And he talks in his book about how there was this one company where the CEO, maybe after he read that Art of Business Review article, but actually after he saw the impact it had on their sales, I can't remember what kind of company it was, but he mandated that every employee has to have an overnight stay in a customer's home once a year. <laughs> I'm sure they you know, reimbursed the customers, but just to force them to sit down with them and understand what's going on in their world. Because, you know, spoiler alert, those customers are not thinking about your product. That's right. They're thinking about their world. They're thinking about things that they're trying to get done and the risks that they have in getting those things done. And it's probably in a different language and in a different priority than you might assume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that will bring us to another lesson. I hope you'll unpack for us a bit because I think what you just described about being close to the customer sounds very, very simple. And I think most businesses tend to overcomplicate that. And you said a powerful lesson that came from these 200 books is that the most effective marketing plans aren't overly complicated. <laughs> yes. Most marketing plans, companies spend a lot of money on them. They go into beautiful binders. They collect a lot of dust and they're not really terribly helpful. And that's a shame because it continues this negative perception of marketers and it leaves a lot of money on the table. And there were a couple of books that really hammered this home for me in a couple different ways. And one of them is the Malcolm McDonald. I interviewed him about his second edition of his book on marketing planning. And what was so interesting in the book, it's not a long book. And matter of fact, it's one of the few books I've read twice. He talks about how there's really only two questions that a marketing plan needs to answer. Now, of course, there's a book that explains how you go about getting those two questions, but the simplicity was just ingenious. And I'll tell you what they are. The first question is, what are your key target markets in order of priority? So you can see how that first question brushes up against companies that say, oh, we want to reach everybody. (laughs) That is the most destructive thing they could say. But you've got to figure out, perhaps by understanding your customer, you know, where the biggest opportunities are for you and who you should be going after. There's quite a bit that goes into figuring out who your key target markets are in order of priority. And the second question is, in your key target markets, what is your source of differential advantage? So different things are going to be important to different groups. Within that, how is your product better or more appealing or whatever? So you do have to look at your competition, but it was just amazing how the whole book was based on those two questions, which are, what are your key target markets in order of priority? And even companies that spend a half an hour thinking about that start to feel a bit liberated thinking who they'd really like to have as their customers and who it makes the most sense. And I'll give you a little trick. Think about the customers that are terrible. Think about the ones you definitely don't want. That's your first step towards realizing, oh, if we could wave a magic wand, who would be our ideal customers? Yes. You're going to start going in that direction. Now, you need to do a little bit of research to find out about you know market size and all that type of thing. But in your markets, let's say you're reaching different groups with the same product or maybe different products for different groups. What makes yours better? 
So anyway, that was one thing. But there was another book that, despite its maybe gimmicky name, is terrific. And it was called The One-Page Marketing Plan by Alan Dibb. And he, we don't go through all of them, but it's basically just nine little blocks on one page piece of paper. So your whole plan can be summarized in these nine little blocks, you know, three in the top, three in the middle, three at the bottom. And the three at the top have to do with what you're doing before a customer might even ever find out about you. So things like, um, who, who are your the questions that Malcolm McDonald offers? Is your product even a fit? Is there even a demand for your product? You know, that type of thing. And the middle part is uh, what he calls during. So it's before, during, and after. And during is that sometimes very long period of time between when a prospect has heard of you to the point when they bought from you. So that has quite a bit to do with your sales, uh, your sales process, and that type of thing. But what's interesting to me is the third part, which is what he calls after. And that has to do with what kind of experience is your customer having with you? I mean, have you even thought about it? Like everyone's familiar with Disney. They don't leave much to chance. They engineer almost everything down to the smallest detail. And even then they have problems, but they figure out ways to come around it because they know that they want their customers to have a great experience. Then they also, the after part also deals with how can you sell more to your customers? (laughs) You know, I may come as a surprise to a lot of people, but your customers, a lot of your customers really like you. (laughs) <laughs> and they want to give you more money. Are you helping them? Are you figuring out what else you could be helping? Again, that's where the customer insights. And the third one is, how can we engineer referrals? And that third part, a lot of people don't think about it in terms of marketing. But if it were me, I'd put more money into that third part. In fact, you know, if I were at a company and I were suddenly thrust into being in charge of marketing, the very first thing I would do is not try and get any new customers. I'd be trying to figure out, who are my customers? How can I sell more to them? And how can I get them to become our salespeople because people trust customer recommendations a lot more than they do any messages that you send. Yes, absolutely. And I would even take this lesson about a a simple marketing plan or a simple business growth plan. And I see this in terms of uh, through the lens of everyday business conversations and whether you're a for-profit business or a not-for-profit is there should be an understanding. It doesn't have to be in the language of a business plan. But just a sense of, first, whom are the people who we primarily serve, right? So as you think about Mm -hmm. an avatar, where you think about it in different segments, and of course, at some level, it's everyone. If you're with a bank, right? Everyone who might deposit money, borrow money, invest money, sure. But you probably have a pretty good sense of whom are we in our community really placing a priority on. Mm-hmm. It may be an underbanked populations that are of a, of a certain mindset or whatever the case may be. But everyone should have a sense of, in priority, you know, who would we want to be our next client? Or who do we really have the most to offer to? And then, as you were so rightly saying, Douglas, my experiences in working with lots of different kinds of clients is that most of your employees and most of your, certainly most of your current customers probably don't know everything that you have to offer. Mm-hmm. Everyone's kind of in their own kind of world. And so if you really have a sense of the people whom you're trying to serve, and if you can make sure everyone has much more awareness of what you have to offer, then it's sure a lot easier to make those connections better than your competitors do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. I think one other thing that maybe business owners think about more, but marketers don't think about as enough as they could or are allowed to, follow the money. <laughs> One of the most important questions that you can ask is, who is our most profitable customer? Now, some companies don't know that. If they don't know that, then they should go figure that out before they start spending a lot of money on marketing. Who is our most profitable customer? And I'll tell you another question that is really powerful is what's the customer lifetime value? Most companies don't think about that. They think about maybe that first purchase, but they think, I see this all the time when I'm talking to companies, I'll say, how long do you keep your customers? They go, oh, we're really good at keeping them. We keep them 15, 20 years. Really, how much do they spend with you? Oh, 15, $25,000 a year. Have you ever done that math? No. Holy cow, I didn't realize. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, what's the customer lifetime value if you think about it, but also who is our most profitable customer? Again, if it were my money, and I weren't you know, playing with house money, I would try and figure out, well, how can I get more of those profitable customers? I mean, a lot of people are more focused on revenues than profits. They shouldn't be. As you were saying before from the lesson about not overcomplicating your 
marketing plan, I think it leads into another very powerful lesson that a lot of us intuitively understand, but you've read some books and interviewed authors who are really good at this. It is that your most powerful marketing is the customer service you deliver. Yeah, actually, just to split a hair, it's really the customer experience. And you think of that versus customer service. Customer service, and I know I'm splitting hairs, but it's kind of like talking about appliances, you know, a microwave and a deep freeze are both appliances, but they're two different, very different things and they work beautifully together. <laughs> and you're right. One is more the activity or the unit, whereas the other with customer experience really is the outcome. So the customer service is taking care of customer problems. And you should definitely be ready to take care of your customers' problems. It's a little bit more reactive. That's all. The customer experience that companies are talking, well, a lot of the authors are talking more about is how can we proactively go in and engineer an experience that they're going to enjoy. So if you think about going to a theme park or going to Disney or any number of other things, they are thinking like, what is the experience this person's going to have with us? And how can we run our business differently so that they come to like us and trust us and maybe even want to share with their friends? And a lot of that has to do with not your marketing department, but your HR department, meaning what kind of people are you hiring? How are you training these people? What kind of leadership are you giving to them? Are you enabling them to take care of things for your customers? And that talk I gave, there was a quote from Maya Angelou that I really like. I always liked it, but particularly applies to marketing as well. And she said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And the reason that this customer experience is coming to the forefront is because in the past, in the not too distant past, you could treat customers badly. And there were only so many people they could tell about it. Well, now everybody has a megaphone and everybody can tell the world about a bad experience they had with you, even if they didn't have a bad experience. So the companies, with the exception of United Airlines, are starting to pay attention and say, wow, we actually uh, have to give a better experience to our customers because they're going to tell everybody we're terrible. And the ones that are engineering a great experience, like think of an Apple store or, uh, or Amazon. I mean, I know these are big companies, but they really think about the experience you're going to have. Like, for instance, if years back, they didn't email you right after you bought something. And people started to wonder, like, well, did you get my order? When am I going to get it? And then that's when they realized, oh, we need to send an email before they ask for it. So the other thing to keep in mind is what something Anthony Anarino said in his book, The Lost Art of Closing, where there was an expression in Latin called caveat emptor, which for the longest time, long time, was let the buyer beware. You know, you're taking the risk, you know, if you make the wrong decision. But he explains, as do some other authors, that we're now in this era of caveat venditor, which means let the seller beware. Because, <laughs> like, like I said, even if they haven't had a bad experience, they can say bad things about you. So you really have to be much more proactive. But the main reason that companies are trying to wake up to this is because it's really, like I said, it's where the money is. You know, Nick Webb in his book, What Customers Crave, he talks about how the chances of selling to somebody they've never bought from you are like less than 20%. This particular study he cited. But the chance of selling to an existing customer, presumably one that you've treated well, and trust me, people's expectations are pretty low. So if you just give them what they want, <laughs> they'll like you. Chances are like 70% they're going to buy from you again. But also, like I talked about with the customer lifetime value, he talks about how, on average, a customer is worth 10 times their initial purchase. So the customer experience is something that people are starting to pay attention to. And some companies are making the mistake of trying to give that over to marketing. And the problem with that is that the marketers aren't in charge of all aspects of it, so you really have to have all the departments involved, and the CEO has to understand this, or the people will think it's just another another gimmick. But again, that's where the customer insights come. You just talk to these people and find out what they're doing. It reminds me of a movie from years ago with William Hurt, I think it was, where he played a doctor, and he forced all the other doctors to check into the hospital as a patient, and it transformed their lives and the way they ran the hospital. So. <laughs> well, and it gets back to your point there about the potential with a, a customer is maybe 10 times that initial purchase. And you were speaking earlier before about very simple but powerful business and marketing planning, which will explicitly take into account the after part of all this and that that might be the least appreciated, maybe the least resourced or the least thought about element of planning. Mm -hmm. 
And when I gave that talk, for anyone that wants to listen to it, it's at marketingbookpodcast.com. They can listen to it. But I joke and say I lifted from another book by Noah Fleming, author of Evergreen and the Customer Loyalty Loop, that the reason companies are so focused on getting new customers instead of taking care of their existing customers is because they're addicted to sex. (laughs) Maybe I should explain for your listeners, Jim. (laughs) This is still a family show, but I think it's... Yeah. Well, what he means is that... Yeah, it's a little bit differently, right? He says that companies are obsessed with, you know, the conquest, you know, getting the new customer, you know, the victory, get them in. And then, of course, Joey Coleman in his book, Never Lose a Customer Again, talks about how some staggering number of customers will leave within the first 90 days and they'll never come back. But keeping customers, more thinking farming rather than hunting, you know, maybe it doesn't seem quite as sexy and a little less exciting, but that's where the money is, as we've talked about. It's more lucrative. Yeah, yeah. You bet. You mentioned uh, Anthony Anarino in his book, The Lost Art of Closing, and he's got a new book out now. He's been a guest on this podcast. That brings me to one more lesson I think we should discuss here is that the best marketers understand sales. And Douglas, I believe I've heard you say maybe more than once that you often learn more about marketing from sales books than from marketing books. I do. There was an author, a friend of mine on the podcast a couple years back named Chad Pollitt, who wrote the Content Promotion Manifesto, and he's a marketer. And he joked that he tries to read more sales books than marketing. And the problem with marketers reading marketing books is their heads start to fill up with helium. (laughs) And they start floating up the sales funnel. The point is that marketing and sales are starting to get a little more blurred. In other words, in the past, when a customer wanted to buy something, they had to go to the seller fairly early on. You know, think about when my dad bought a car, he had to go to the dealership. Well, now buyers tend to want to go to the seller as late as they possibly can. So then now they've got all this information they can go to, they want to do that. So as a result, the sales has become much more complicated and there's a much bigger role for marketers to play in the sales process because the more that they can provide helpful educational or entertaining information that will aid a buyer in the process of making a purchase, the more successful they'll be. And they can be providing a lot more support to the salespeople. And there was a book on the podcast called Align to Achieve, which is all about the alignment of marketing and sales, which is becoming really, really important for companies because of what I just explained. It's become a very high priority. And in the book, they say it was written by these Tracy Eiler and Andrea Austin. And they were at a company where one was the marketing director and one was the head of sales. And they explained how to get marketing and sales to work more closely together. And then as a case study, they showed how they did it at their own company. And one of the things they said throughout the book was sales can't do it alone and marketing exists to make sales easier. Now, that doesn't mean marketing's getting coffee for sales. It means they exist to make sales easier for the customer. Well, that's exactly right. And no one can afford the luxury of separating sales and marketing Mm -hmm. and not engaging people. I would also argue if you have a big complex organization and you have some people that are involved in delivery, setup, servicing of your stuff. Basically, everyone who has customer contact or even as we keep working harder to find the right talent, the people to work in our organization itself. I mean, everybody does have some sort of sales role to provide. And that's not just, it can't be lip service anymore about, well, you know, everyone here is in sales, of course, that really you got to break down those barriers and, and realize that when it comes to revenue and when it comes to growth opportunities, everybody needs to make everybody else's job easier. Yeah. And just to add to that, maybe people would say, well, I'm not in sales. I mean, I'm not in the sales department, but everybody's in the customer experience department. You know, whether your accounts receivable, accounts payable, delivery, marketing, HR, I mean, everyone is in the customer experience business now, whether they don't realize it or not, but they really are. And there was another book on the podcast called Unbranding by Scott and Allison Stratton. They've written a series of just brilliant, hilarious books, unmarketing, unselling, unbranding. And in the book on branding, they uh, it's funny, the very first chapter, it was 100 chapters. The first chapter was, your logo doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> But in another part of the book that I thought was really interesting is they said the most important, like I said earlier, the most important branding department in your company is HR. 
because it has more to do with the kinds of people you hire and train and retain than what you say about yourself. Well said. And Scott Stratton's stuff is terrific, as is everyone that you've been sharing and quoting here with us, Douglas. One more, let's touch on one more lesson here. And I like your language around this. You say, content is the atomic particle of marketing. (laughs) And in a time when everyone's trying to kind of come up with a content strategy and where should we post and what are our insights? And you're a marketing expert, you're a content generator yourself. So what do you mean by content is the atomic particle of marketing? Well, first off, full disclosure, I stole that from Rebecca Lieb's book, which is called Content, the Atomic Particle of Marketing. And when I gave the talk, for anyone that hears it, I joked and said, I want you all to thank me for not saying content is king. But Thank you. (laughs) But the more that you're able to produce content that is helpful for your customers, the more successful you're going to be. And it's not a large out-of-pocket cost. And I guess the thing, when I'm trying to explain this to somebody that's not familiar with this, but there was a book on the podcast called Your Ad Ignored Here by Tom Fishburne, who is also known as the marketoonist, about his first 15 years of cartooning. And he was a graduate of Harvard Business School, and he um, worked for a number of blue chip companies. And if you look at that book, it's almost like looking at a time capsule of the last 15 years of marketing. And I asked him, how do you get inspiration for this? And his answer was really interesting. He said, well, the number one place I go for inspiration with all these cartoons is making fun of companies and marketers that think they still have a captive audience. So what he means (laughs) by that is that we can ignore a lot more unwanted marketing and sales messages than we've ever gotten before. Now, Jim, have you ever not answered the phone because you knew it was a salesperson calling you that you really didn't want to talk to? Let's see. The last time, Douglas, it would have been uh, today. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you might have a DVR at home. You might be listening to satellite radio, you might have pop-up blockers installed on your, it's just one more notch in the victory belt of consumers, the way they're able to avoid these messages. So the movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which some of your listeners may have heard, there's a scene where King Arthur and his men go up to this castle and they say, hey, let us in, I'm King Arthur. And there's a, a soldier up on the parapet, a French soldier, very rude, played by John Cleese. And he said, no, I'm not gonna let you in. I don't care who you are. And then he insulted him and said, your mother was a hamster and your father smelled of elderberry. I mean, rough stuff, I guess, but... Yes. I so-and-so in your general direction. Yes, yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was starting to run out of... But that is such a perfect metaphor for trying to reach your customers now. And so your customers are in a castle with the drawbridge up, and they're not going to lower that drawbridge unless you have something helpful or entertaining or educational for them. They're not interested in what you have to say. So what's happened is that the advertising supported media is really on a downward spiral and people are allowed to ignore your messages. So like my wife who wanted to get information, she didn't go to the dealership, but she would go to places to find information. So companies that have done really, really well are basically people that go onto their website and publish articles teaching their customers how to buy from them. And I'll give you an example. Marcus Sheridan, who wrote one of my favorite books, of course, I, all these books sound like my favorite, but they really, <laughs> I really love the books that have been on the podcast with very few exceptions. And he was a guy who had a Virginia pool company. He still has it, as a matter of fact. And they installed fiberglass pools and, you know, in Northern Virginia and the central, the Richmond, Virginia area. And the 2008 real estate crash happened. So as you can imagine, not too many people were buying pools at that point. There were a lot of things people weren't buying then. And so they, they didn't even have any money left to advertise. And he was going to need to declare bankruptcy, but he didn't want to lose his house. And he was just on his last rope. So what he did is he went onto their website and he just made a point to write a little article that answered every question he'd ever gotten from a customer. Like, how much does a pool cost? What's the difference between a fiberglass pool and a concrete pool? What's the process you go through? On and on and on. And he just said, within a year, so this is... 2008, they were the number one pool site in the world. And I think they might still be. It's River Pools and Spas. And it turned their business around. And he's since become a marketer and an international keynote speaker. But he and his partner still have a pool company. And now they're a manufacturer of pools. But basically, by answering questions that customers had, their trust went way up before they first called them. And their fear went way down. So it got to the point, it's a funny story, one of my favorites is that he realized that 
So when somebody wanted an estimate, it was going to take up at least half a day to go out, drive out there and see them. And so what they did is they realized that customers that had been on their website were closing at a much higher rate. So what they did, they basically educated customers were their best prospects. So what they did is somebody would call up and say, hey, we want you to come out and you know give us an estimate. We're interested in getting a pool. And they would say, okay, great. We're going to send you a link to a video. And it's a short video, but it's basically a video that explains what happens when you buy a pool. You know, these are the kind of things you have to do. This is what's involved. You know, you dig a hole, you have to get permits. Basically, it had all the stuff that they were being asked at every single sales call. Then they also sent a link to a short ebook they wrote on everything you need to know about buying a fiberglass pool. So it was just really helpful. It was as if Marcus had written it for his brother in California, like how not to get ripped off, why you might not want to get a fiberglass pool. Basically made them really smart that they were making the right decision. Then, this is the brilliant part, they say, okay, we're going to call you back the day before the appointment. And if you haven't had a chance to watch the video or read the ebook, that's not a problem. We'll just reschedule. (laughs) So he said (laughs) that maybe four people or five people said, no, you get out here now, which told them something. So they, of course, they're not going to go talk to them anyway. They weren't going to be good customers. They weren't serious. Exactly. They're closing at like 85% on these visits to the houses. And he knew it was working when he got to the house once, knocked on the door, and the child looked out and he heard the child say, Mommy, the guy from the video's here. <laughs> Brilliant. So anyway, it's, it's creating your own content rather than, it's basically creating your own audience instead of renting eyeballs from somebody else's audience. That's exactly right. And Douglas, that comes back around to the first lesson that we talked about today about having deep insights into your customers. And you talked about the three types of businesses. So this pool company, it was not the type of business that talked about itself. So that content wasn't, let me tell you about all the pools that we offer and <laughs> our great we are. and our commitment <laughs> to customer, you know. And it wasn't that second type of business that you talked about, which is talking about the competition. So the content wasn't, here's how everyone else is trying to rip you off mm-hmm. and why we're a better choice. It was intently focused on the hopes and fears of customers or potential customers who are thinking about spending a lot of money to put a hole in the ground. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's brilliant as a, not just a content strategy, but just a focus on customer. I should get you to help me with my presentations in the future. (laughs) I I did not make that one myself, but there's a certain, yes, yes. I hope your listeners appreciate their host. You bet that we try to tie it all together for you. One last thing, Douglas, and I'll give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself as well. Certainly, you have, in serving your listeners and serving other people with all of these books individually and the lessons to be learned, are there things that you can look to and say, I have picked up some insights, I have learned some practices that I apply to my own work at Artillery with our manufacturing clients. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that because I try to read the book on the weekend and I'll come in and the joke is that sometimes on a Monday I walk in and I say, all right, everything we've been doing, everything you've learned, forget all that. It all starts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, the boss has been reading again. Yeah. and, And there was an author named Jim Stern on the podcast who wrote a book on artificial intelligence for marketing. And the term he used was management by in flight magazine, which is (laughs) where the boss comes. I mean, we've all worked there. Come on. The boss comes in and says, all right, I realize we're a B2B industrial manufacturing company. What's our Snapchat strategy? You know, or something absurd like that where it just doesn't relate to their customers. So yes, I've learned a lot and we make certain tweaks or I'll read something and I'll go, oh my God, I wish I'd found this earlier. And we incorporate that into what we're doing with clients. So things that help to teach customers, things that help them to better understand their own customers. So there's a number of things like that. I think one thing that's helpful to remember is that regardless of what someone is selling, we're all selling change of some kind, whether it's a pool or whether it's getting their marketing shop in order or a new software or a new building, whatever, it's change. And for reasons related to the evolution and survival of humans, there's a reason we're afraid of change. Because in the past, it usually meant death. (laughs) Yes. Change is scary. Yeah, it is. And so the more that you're able to guide prospective customers toward that other place, the more successful you'll be. Obviously, they need to have enough pain. The pain of staying where they are needs to be greater than where they need to go and where you can take them. 
Well said. That is Douglas Burdett with lessons from 200 great marketing and sales books and his podcast and a Monty Python movie reference for you today (laughs) at no extra charge. Douglas, thank you. Will you remind us again about the podcast, the site, artillery, and other ways that we can keep in touch with you and what you're continuing to learn on our behalf? Well, you can go to marketingbookpodcast.com, which simply is a section of our site that's all about the podcast. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music. Those are the two phones that so many people seem to have. And it's funny how so many people will say, I don't know how to listen to a podcast, which is, I mean, I never figured out how to program my VCR either. Listening to a podcast is actually easier, but people will hand me their phone and I'll point at the button and they'll say, oh, I was wondering what that was. (laughs) You press it. And then you put in marketing book and it brings it up and you press a button that says subscribe and then it automatically uploads for you. So, I mean, not just mine, you can find other folks. So all the people who are listening to this probably don't know how to do that. But if you want to be a hit, share that with other people. And a lot of them like it. Podcast listeners tend to listen to a lot of podcasts. So it's sort of like if you're the one that can show another person how to subscribe to a podcast, they'll probably always remember that. So marketingbookpodcast.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn. And I encourage my listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn because I'm able to get feedback and they're able to tell me what they like and don't like about the podcast. And a lot of them suggest books, but a very large number of them say, you know, here's my situation. Can you recommend a specific book? And I love writing book prescriptions. I don't need a, you know, medical license to do that. But these people will contact me and they'll say, this is what I'm dealing with. And I'll go, oh, this is exactly the book you need to read. Read this one first. Don't read the other 199. (laughs) And invariably they come back and say, yeah, that did the trick. Thanks a lot. That really helped. So I'm happy to connect with any of your listeners if I can recommend any marketing or sales books or resources that might help them for whatever situation they're in. And on Twitter, I'm marketing book. You're neither an MBA nor an MD. Let's see, you would be an MBD, marketing book doctor. (laughs) Well, I do have an MBA. Well, that's true. Yes, yes. (laughs) Maybe an MD comma B, something along those lines. We'll make sure we get Uh, the right puffy title for you. Well, actually, I can't even say I'm a marketing doctor because I'm sure that will ruffle the feathers of all the PhDs who studied marketing. But anyway. Well, you're speaking to one of them, and I think it's just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Douglas Burdett, thank you. You're generous as always, and I really appreciate your time here with us on the Manager Message Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for joining the conversation with Douglas Burdett. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, then I hope you'll share with friends and colleagues who likewise would find this valuable. And please subscribe, rate, and review. Your five-star will help others find us. We'll have summaries and links in the episode description. Plus, you can learn more about managing the message at manageyourmessagepodcast.com or jimcar.com, K-A-R-R-H. I serve clients through consulting, coaching, and advisory work, and I would be happy to talk about messaging challenges or opportunities that you're facing. I'm also a professional speaker specializing in keynotes, breakout sessions, and workshops that help everyone become message managers and grow their organizations. If you know of associations or companies that would benefit from hearing about ways to manage their message, please put us in touch. My email is jim at jimcar.com. Thanks again. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often. <laughs>